Good morning, Saltbox. I'm Michael Mattis, and I pastor Saltbox Church here in Wilmington, North Carolina. In addition to this live premiere, uh, we are also meeting live and in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Hannah Block Center downtown, so we'd love to have you join us. Uh, we're in the middle right now of our beautiful attitudes, kind of collection of talks. It's out of the Beatitudes, and um, today I'm going to reference the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then next week, uh, we actually have one of our elders, um, Reverend Ruth Calver, who I just love, and she's going to be talking about the persecuted and how blessed are those who are persecuted. And she's kind of a subject matter expert in this. She's done lots and lots of work with the underground church and the persecuted church around the world. So be sure to tune in next week. And then after that, week after that, I'm going to be doing kind of a special on salt and light and where our namesake came from. And then after that, we're going to jump into the book of Malachi, which is a fascinating book, last book of the Old Testament, um, right before Jesus, a couple hundred years before Jesus really w- uh, was born and came to earth. So um, here we are. Uh, we are in Matthew 5, uh, verse 9, and then I'm going to jump over to Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 16, and then Colossians 1, 19 and 20. We're going to look at three quick passages, um, and then we're going to sort of unpack it and see if we can uh, dig it out. So here it is. Uh, just as a reminder, um, I, I love this whole stretch of Scripture because it, you literally have um, almost, this is like the Lord Jesus' uh, manifesto. This, this is kind of his, um, it, it's almost his, his crowning sort of um, sermon or collection of sermons. And he literally would have gone up onto a mountainside with a Sea of Galilee behind him. And there was a, a natural stone amphitheater. I've stood there. It's absolutely gorgeous. And um, in the afternoon, when the wind would have blown just right off the Sea of Galilee, it creates this um, sort of auditory anomaly, and it's like a natural amphitheater, and you could literally hear a man's voice. So Jesus um, climbed up onto this uh, piece of the mountain, sat down, and he began to teach everyone. And <clears throat> in verse uh, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I'm going to flip over to Ephesians 2, and I want to read 13 through 16 out of Ephesians 2. But now, Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, and this is really talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Just beautiful, especially in light of much of what's going on in our country right now, that Jesus wants to bring people together and bring unity. Um, And then my last passage that I'm going to reference is Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. And here's what it says there. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, Here it is, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. Holy Spirit, would you enliven us this morning as we look at your word? 
And would you let us gaze deeply into it? And would you let us not only see you, but see ourselves? And then, Holy Spirit, would you actually change us and form us and shape us? And would you fill us with your Spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, I was reflecting on um, just this whole passage, blessed are the peacemakers, and what I want to sort of delve into is what the, the difference between uh, being a peacemaker um, and a peacekeeper, and I'll sort of unpack that as we go along, but I had this memory as I was just sort of putting all this together and writing, and um, I was actually at a sleepover as a young guy, I was like 13. And um, it was a kind of an average bunch of guys at a you know somebody's house, and we're sleeping over. And it got late, um, 12, 1, 2 o'clock. And and I, I may even make a comment to parents here. Um, you know, n- not much happens that is great at sleepovers. And in fact, uh, Abby, my wife, and I, as we've talked, you know, we have always been very guarded about letting our kids go to sleepovers. Um, but but literally, I think between Abby and I, we probably were exposed to almost everything you could be exposed to between the back of the bus and at sleepovers. So parents, just beware. But I was at this sleepover, and I was 13, and I'll never forget, because about 1 or 2 in the morning, somebody broke out a tape with some pornography on it. And they put this tape in, and they pressed play, and they started watching it. And I was immediately, I, I knew the Lord Jesus, and I had a tender heart, and I, I immediately did not want uh, to be there. And what was interesting is I actually kind of snuck out the back, um, uh, the side door of this room, and I went over to the door of the house, and I began to open it, and they had an alarm that was set. So the parents had set this alarm, and nobody knew the code, so we couldn't get out. And literally, I could not open the door, or this alarm was going to go off, and all of them would have been busted, and we all would have gotten in trouble. And so I, I remember I just I, I shut the door, and I literally sat down. And it, it wasn't long before the guys actually found out that I'd snuck out of the room. And you can imagine when a 13-year-old boy sneaks out of the room, when the, when the rest of the 13-year-old boys or 14-year-old boys were doing this, it, 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 they immediately began to make fun of me. And I, I just remember um, actually sort of sitting in that hallway because I just felt trapped, like I couldn't leave. And I just remember sort of covering my head and like crouching down and just sort of waiting uh, for several hours until everyone went to bed. And, you know, it was funny because I felt, um, I felt trapped and they got so angry at me. They, they got angry at me because I would, didn't want to watch with them. And, you know, what's, what's fascinating is you know, a, a person who keeps the peace um, would be one who would go along with whatever's happening, right? Because if I would have gone along with it, nobody would have been angry, nobody would have made fun of me, we wouldn't have had a big frou-frou in the downstairs, it, it, it would have been no big deal. But, but Jesus actually calls us to be uh, peacemakers, not peace keepers. And so that's actually what I sort of want to look at. And and I want to take it, if we can, in multiple aspects of life and relationships. And what does it mean um, to be a a peace uh, sort of keeper, always keeping the peace, always appeasing, always making people happy, versus what is Jesus really saying when he says, we're called to be peacemakers, and if we are, we are therefore going to be sons of God or children of God. So let's, let's set the table with a couple of things um, as we look at peacemakers throughout the Bible. Uh, it's, it's crystal clear um, that every Christian should be a, a peacemaker. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, it, it's crystal clear that every Christian should um, 
bring peace and make peace in their church, in their community, and in their little slice of the world where they're planted. It, it is the Christian mandate. And it's also clear, and all through the New Testament, that there are often people who are divisive and who not only don't make peace, they actually make trouble. And uh, which is also a, a, a fascinating part of the Christian life. But I think we'd be amiss in looking at peacemakers if we didn't at least reference Matthew 10. I think it's 32 through 36. But Jesus actually said in Matthew 10, I have not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword, which is like, what? And, and, and then he actually goes on to say, he said, um, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And, you know, you have to sort of uh, uh, juxtapose these two things and go, what, what is Jesus saying there? And, and I think what Jesus is beginning to define is, what is um, a peacemaker? And, and a peacemaker uh, is actually one who reveals the lack of peace that a person or a group of people have with God um, or with one another. So Jesus knew that just by the very offensive nature of the gospel, that when he began to preach and ultimately he went to a cross and died and was resurrected, that as people um, surrender their life to Jesus, what he calls is total obedience um, to him um, and uh, that we would put him as preeminent in our lives. And so when a person um, puts Jesus first in their lives and they have an immediate family that doesn't do that, guess what it does? It creates division. So Jesus is literally, he's not saying here you're not called to bring peace, but he's saying for those people who will actually walk with me, for those people who will actually put me as preeminent, for those who will actually put me in that first place in their lives, it will uh, bring division. There will be separation because of it, because people don't like it. So uh, Jesus is literally almost foretelling that, that as people follow him, uh, that sword of division will inevitably come. So I think as we look into this just even a little bit more, uh, there's no question that we as disciples of Christ should never seek conflict. Um, we should never be responsible for conflict. And to the degree that we seek conflict or, or are responsible for it, I'd actually go so far as to say we're probably in sin. Because that is not the heart of God. The heart of God is not conflict. Now, God knows that if you walk with him and if you truly surrender your life with him, that there will be people who are in conflict with you. We're going to go on and see some of that. But a couple of things that I think are, is, is worth mentioning here. Um, Jesus actually said, uh, we <clears throat> um, are called to peace, 1 Corinthians 7.15. He then said, we are actively to pursue peace. Paul went on to write, we are to strive for peace with all people. As Paul also said, and as far as it depends upon us, we are to live at peace with everyone. So uh, literally throughout the Old Testament and into the New, but especially in the New, you get this idea that we are called to bring peace. We are called to be peacemakers. Now, what is just fascinating is um, Jesus literally was hated by everyone. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. By the time Jesus uh, went to the cross and uh, was, was crucified, there, there was four groups of religious people in his day, um, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. And 
all of them were against Jesus. What's even fascinating is Jesus was hated by Rome. Um, Jesus was hated by all, all the established kingdoms of the world. Uh, he, he was even abandoned by his disciples. He was certainly hated by one disciple, Judas, right? So Jesus, by the end, is, is literally almost hated by all, and yet he is the peacemaker. He is the peace bringer. So what you immediately begin to see is there is some distinction or delineation between um, peace uh, keepers or making people happy and then peacemakers, bringers of peace. And it, it is sort of that that I think uh, we, we want to unpack and, and take a look at um, today. So let's do this too. Let's, let's define um, peacemaking. And I'd probably define it as twofold. So peacemaking is, is literally um, helping people into right relationship with God. And then secondarily, people is helping people into right relationship with one another. So anytime that you do something or don't do something that points out the failure of someone else or that they're not in right relationship with God or they're not in right relationship with one another, they generally um, get angry, frustrated, they might dislike you. I mean, think of the guys at the slumber party I just described. I I was not responsible for what they were doing. I wasn't to blame for what they were doing. And yet, by my choice, it revealed their uh, sort of um, poor choices or their sin, if you'd like to call it that, but it's their separation from God is suddenly revealed, and, and they, um, their lack of peace is revealed. And then there was an opportunity for people uh, to actually begin to make peace with God. And so one of the guys at the party actually came down, I remember him sitting next to me, and just saying, I don't want to be a part of this either. I don't want to do this either. And so he actually took a step and began to make peace with God. And I think it's so challenging because we live in a world where many people want us to be peacekeepers, people pleasers. They want us to be appeasers. They, they, they want us to make everyone sort of feel good. And Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers, to be bringers of peace. So my first point today is that Jesus is literally uh, the original peacemaker. I I mean, he is, um, and and I think it's so important that you understand that the peace that Jesus made, the the peace that Jesus brought is a costly peace. So in the Old Testament, the back half of the Bible, in order to be right with God, Yahweh God, uh, under Mosaic law, you had to take a sheep and actually slaughter it and kill it. And it was through the shed blood of this spotless or blemishless sheep that sins were atoned for or forgiven. It's just a Bible word of saying forgiven or or covered, made as if they weren't there. And in the New Testament, uh, uh, Jesus literally becomes that New Testament lamb. So his death on the cross, he was was without blemish. He was without sin. And when he died, um, he became the ultimate sacrifice. So he brought uh, peace. He is the peacemaker. He is the door to peace. He is, uh, it is through Jesus that we can have peace with God. But without his death, there was no peace. So Jesus is the original peacemaker, but he is, um, it is a costly peace. And peace is always costly. Peace takes tremendous sacrifice. Peace is, um, it is difficult. And, And Jesus literally became peace. I mean, I even was thinking about the people, the very people that Jesus came to help. So 
think with me back, when Jesus rode in on that donkey down the Mount of Olives just a few days before he was killed, the people were out there yelling, Hosanna, we love you. And yet Jesus didn't do what they wanted, right? Jesus didn't overthrow Rome. Instead, he chose to be obedient even to death on a cross. And he went into trial. And the people, the same people that waved those Hosanna branches, the very same people, are the ones who literally turned on him and yelled, crucify him. In other words, the peace that Jesus brought is so significant and so substantial. It is costly. So my first point is Jesus is the peacemaker. And then I want to open up this sort of concept of of peacemakers uh, versus sort of peace. Uh, keepers. And, and I would actually say that um, peacekeepers are people who enable others or um, people who spend most of their life trying to make people happy or um, appeasing uh, other people. So what do I mean by that? Enabling happens when you know something is wrong or at least not um, good and um, y- you, you say nothing and you do nothing. Appeasement happens when we pacify or we uh, placate someone, often at the sacrifice of our own um, principles. In other words, keeping the peace. So go back to my story. If I hadn't disrupted the peace by saying to that group of guys, hey, I'm not comfortable, I'm going to you know, walk out here and sit in the foyer, uh, they, they um, n- never would have been angry at me. I, so I chose not actually to appease them, not to placate them, and instead they kind of hated me for it. So, you know what's funny? I was just even thinking as I was putting this together. Um, my uh, mouth is like two inches below my nose, right? That's true for most of us. And yet, I am the last person on the earth to know when I have bad breath. And what's interesting is I'm married to this beautiful wife, Abby. And she will not keep the peace, but she'll say, you have bad breath. And that's a, as, as, as silly as that is, that is an example of someone who is not going to just keep the peace. They're going to they're gonna actually um, say uh, and, and become a peacemaker in your life. It's, it's like I know I have a real friend when I'm sitting across from them at lunch and they go, oh, you got something in your teeth. I know I don't have a real friend when I'm sitting at lunch and I finish lunch and I go to the bathroom and go, oh gosh, I have something in my teeth. You see, what God is actually calling us to do as peacemakers is um, to, to do some of the hard things to bring true peace. So <clears throat> let's get kind of practical. Let's look at family systems here for just a few minutes. Um, oftentimes parents, and I see parents all the time, enable uh, their teenagers or appease their teenagers. In other words, um, something's happening in life, something's happening in the teenager's um, decisions or maybe something that's going on at school, and, and instead of talking about it, um, they instead of talking about the issue or bringing the issue um, to light, the parents actually bury it. They look the other way. They ignore it. They pretend it's not there. They hope it's going to go away. And, and because they're afraid um, that it would uh, sort of reveal the hardness of heart in that teenager and it's going to result in this huge conflict and the teenager is going to you know, potentially leave. And here's what I'd say. Sometimes it will. 
But as parents, if you're going to be a true peacemaker, you can't simply keep the peace and make that teenager happy. Jesus would actually call you um, to, when the time's right, in a very calm and gentle way, sit down and go, hey, son, or hey, daughter, and speak to the thing, um, inviting that teenager into new levels of wholeness and allowing them to see what's going on. So uh, let's, let's go with it another way. We have a couple of toddlers. We also have teenagers. But we have a couple of toddlers, one toddler in our house, one baby. And there are times when uh, the toddler um, will just pitch a royal fit. And I think it's appropriate, if you're out in public, um, to keep the peace for a few minutes. In other words, you're out in public, which we're not ever in public anymore because COVID's happening, right? But if you're out in public and the you know, to- toddler is pitching a fit, I think it's okay to do what you need to do to contain the thing and keep everything, like keep the peace. But with our toddler, when we get back to the car or back to wherever we're going, we're going to pull her aside and go, sweetie, that is not appropriate. Now, we're not mean, we're not ugly, we're not, we, don't, we actually attempt to do all the correction in our home without raised voices, because I don't think raised voices are very helpful. I don't think yelling or berating or shaming is all that helpful, but I do think that God calls us to clear communication, and I think part of actually uh, becoming a peacemaker is, is engaging in sort of courageous or brave communication where you're willing to share some hard things, you're willing to speak the truth. So think about it uh, even like this. You see it all the time with husbands and wives. Uh, You can even see it with roommates. You see it in dating relationships. But uh, there's something that one or the other uh, spouse is doing or not doing, and instead of um, addressing it or even sharing how how you're feeling, um, it's probably for fear that there's either going to be an aggressive response or a passive-aggressive response. It just gets kind of swept under the carpet. And you sort of ignore it. And what, what unfortunately begins to happen is this wedge is driven in a marriage, and all of a sudden the two people who were one um, begin to drift apart because they're becoming a peacekeepers instead of peacemakers. So, you know, I think I'd, I'd say a couple of things here. We, we as people, uh, this is obvious, but I think we forget it, can't change anyone. Uh, we can't control anyone. Um, we, we can be uh, gracious. We can speak the truth. We can be gentle. Um, we can make peace by being honest and then sort of letting things fall where they will, letting people respond like they will. But, you know, I think Christians often make the mistake of sort of um, manipulating people people for their own good. You know what I'm saying? We're like, oh, the, 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 you know, the end justifies the means here, so I'm going to kind of manipulate and push them and do whatever I need to do to, to help them. And I would actually say that as, um, as negative as it would be to be ugly in your feedback or your um, peacemaking, I think it would be equally um, ugly to manipulate or to push for a person's own good. So, Now, let's do another sort of example here. With with a parent, sometimes you'll see this with parents. You see this with teenagers and parents. You see this with adults and their parents. You see this at all different levels. But the same type of thing where instead of um, being a true uh, peace um, maker, where you're talking about some of those difficult things, you end up just being a peacekeeper. And and in some cases, enabling the age-old dysfunction that's existed in that parent's life for years and years. 
we as people are not responsible for people's response to us. All we can do is um, invite them into greater peace with God, greater peace with one another, and that happens when someone is honest and gentle and authentic. I, I'm not suggesting you have a big frou-frou and a fight and be ugly. No, no, no. I, I'm actually suggesting in graciousness and kindness and truth, you sit down and you look at somebody in the eye and you, you tell them what's happening. So in our house, there's two rules of thumb that we use. Um, we always use uh, I feel language. Now, make a real clear delineation. Not you made me feel, but, but I feel. So in other words, um, when this happened or when that happened or when, when, this, when, when you did this, um, I felt. Not you made me feel, but I felt. Because that becomes sort of this courageous or even um, kind of brave communication that can allow a person to begin to see an area where they don't have peace with God or they don't have peace with other people, and it invites them into greater relationship. Another rule is you can say almost anything. I mean, we would tell all of our kids, you can say anything if you do it in a kind and respectful way. If you're angry and you're hot, I'm going to call a timeout and go, no way, no way, not even, not a chance. But if you want to come in and you have something that you're hurt about or frustrated or you're concerned about, Anything goes as long as you are respectful and gentle and kind. And, you know, you can say even the hardest things in that way, and all of a sudden, um, everyone in the room, when that type of, of communication happens, everyone in the room is invited into a greater level of, of peacemaking, so making peace between us and God, and then us and other people. So... <clears throat> You know, I think uh, I'm getting into boundaries and a number of things here, and I'm probably not going to go too much further. But here's where I do want to want to park this: the God of Heaven, um, Jesus, the the Holy Spirit, Father God, is are always bringers of peace, and the enemy always brings division. So uh, the enemy is always going to sow division. God is always going to bring peace. But the problem is God's peace reveals lack of peace between every human and him and then humans and other people. So when, when God's peace enters the room, now go back to Jesus. Literally everybody turned against Jesus and crucified him. So the peace of God actually brings revelation where you're not, where you uh, don't have peace. So if you encounter someone whose life is um, oriented around Christ Jesus and who is living an active life where they are full of the peace of God, chances are you're actually going to find some spots where you almost feel, um, it, it almost feels abrasive because you recognize, uh, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, you recognize where you're not living in peace with Him, where you're not fully um, aligned in something with Him. Or maybe you even get convicted because you're not fully aligned with people. And that is the God of peace at work. This is literally what it means to be a peacemaker. So my next point is, is kind of a, a follow-through of the last one. You know, so number one, Jesus is the original peacemaker. Uh, number two, peacemakers bring true peace. Um, peacekeepers use enabling and appeasement to keep the peace. Number three, you can be a peacemaker uh, or you can be a peacekeeper but you can't be both. So God reconciled himself um, to us through Jesus, and we are called to be peacemakers and companions with him in reconciling um, uh, other people to him. 
So uh, here, let's, let's go back to our Colossians uh, 1, 19 and 20 passage. And it literally says there, For God was pleased uh, to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. So how, how did peace happen? Through Jesus. That is the very same Greek word that is used right here. Blessed are the peacemakers. So listen to me. Jesus, uh, literally um, in his death and resurrection from that dead, became the peacemaker. And, and he literally reconciled or, or came and got us and brought us into full relationship with God. And in that peace being made with uh, us and God, we are then called to be like Jesus and actively uh, reconciling people to God. In other words, everywhere you go, you ought to be carrying the peace of Christ. If Christ is in you, if you're in Christ, you ought to be carrying the peace of Christ. And at some points, that's going to make some people uncomfortable. That's going to make some people dislike you. That may lead to people even persecuting you. That may lead to people uh, responding negatively to you. But every one of those responses at the end of the day should actually be an inroad for them to make peace with God. Because we are um, actively becoming like uh, the hands, feet, and face of Jesus activated in every sphere that we move in where literally we become the reconcilers. We carry Jesus and we will make people uncomfortable. You know, once you recognize the height and the depth and the extent of God's love, uh, once you recognize the magnitude of what you've been forgiven for and what I've been forgiven for, you can't help but become a reconciler because you're grieved by anyone who is not um, fully reconciled and at peace with God. And, and then you actually, as you mature in your faith, you also become grieved anytime you see a groups of people who um, are not reconciled uh, through Jesus with one another. That, that is the work of the gospel. And when I see Christians who are actually bringing division, and Christians do that, it grieves my heart. I actually think it's against the heart of God, because God is a peacemaker, and he calls us to be peacemakers. You know, a question that I would have for you this morning is if you get alone, if you get into a quiet place, and in the authenticity of your heart, how would you answer the question, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Because it doesn't matter if a friend or a roommate or a spouse or anyone else in your life has peace with God. The question is, are you at peace with God? And there's a door through which you can walk, that you can have peace with a holy God. If you're listening today and you'd actually go, Michael, I have never um, made peace with God. I, I have never acknowledged the waywardness of my own heart. I've never surrendered, which is just a Bible word, which means you lay it all down. You, you give him your heart, your life, and then he can take it and shape it any which way. If you've never made peace with God, you can do that this morning. In fact, pray with me. It goes something like this. I don't have to use the exact words. God's way more interested in hearts than he is in words. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me 
for not living in peace with you. And I recognize that you sent Jesus, your son, to earth, to a cross, to live perfectly. Ultimately, he went to a cross and died. He paid it all. And I believe that he rose again from the dead and he is Lord of heaven and earth. And I would ask today that you would forgive me for my sin and that Jesus would come into my heart and fill me fully. That you teach me to walk with him, to be known by you and to know you all the days of my life. In your name, I pray. Amen. Now that prayer is just one step in a thousand mile journey to you taking on the character and likeness of Christ, to you actually experiencing on a daily basis peace with God. Now, for my others who are tuned in, who you'd go, man, I've been a Christian a long time, or I've been Christian a short time, but you're, you know that you're a believer. Here's the question. In the quietness of your heart, as far as it depends upon you, are you at peace with everyone in your life? As far as it depends upon you, are you at peace? And if you're not, you may need to go ask somebody's forgiveness. You may need to go engage in some courageous or peacemaking communication where you share honestly, hey, you've got lettuce in your teeth. You share, I'm being tongue-in-cheek there, but you share honestly about something that's happening that is maybe hurting you or creating division. I think the last thing that I would ask is, are you, if you're in Jesus, are you engaging in being a peacemaker? That's his heart. And what the Christian world needs right now, more than I've ever seen, what this country needs right now, more than I've ever seen, is a group of people who are so convinced that God made a way for them to be live in peace with Him and then to take that peace and become peacemakers and reconcilers with Jesus to change their sphere, to change where we live. I know we're in COVID and I know we're stuck at home and I know we're wearing masks and I know we're frustrated about a good many things, but listen to me, listen to me. Let the Lord Jesus take those difficult things and shape you with them and become the peacemaker. And if you're not, I'd actually encourage you to repent, turn, change your heart, recognize where you're not creating peace, but maybe you've been keeping the peace, pleasing people or appeasing people. I'm going to close in a prayer and then Stacy's going to come back and lead us in a beautiful song. But if you'd find yourself in a spot where you're not at peace as far as it depends upon you, or you've lived as a peacekeeper rather than a peacemaker, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you've called us to live as a people who are at peace with you because you came and paid it all for us. And Father, now I pray for this congregation, for this group that lives together, that you would make us a group of people who brings peace, a group of people who are peacemakers, a group of people who at some times make things uncomfortable to draw people in the right relationship with you. But wherever they go, they carry the peace of Christ. They become the very reconcilers that you called us and created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen. Wherever you find yourself today, if you need special prayer, there's a number on the screen. Give us a call. We'd love to connect with you. If you uh, ask Jesus to live inside of you, if you surrendered your life to him today, call us. We'd love to help you get connected with a local church, get a Bible in your hand, pray with you to be filled with the Spirit. There's a whole journey ahead of you. Here's what we know. Here's what we know. As difficult as life is and as uncertain as the future is, he is with us in the fire. Go in peace today, and may the great grace and the great peace of our Lord Jesus, the peacemaker and the reconciler, go with you, filling you, shining his light above you and behind you, and encircling you in his wonderful presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.